We're just trying to get you guys to stand a lot today, I guess. <coughs> the kids can be dismissed also. Kids to Children's Church can be dismissed. You can make your way on out. While they're making their way out, I'll give a couple of announcements. Um, we are doing something a little bit different this year regarding Easter. Easter is April 21st, which isn't real far away. We're going to have our big uh, Easter celebration on Easter 14th, so it's actually the week before Easter. It's a great opportunity to invite somebody that you know to come and sit with you and and be at church. Um, Our cantata involves uh, music from the choir as well as uh, some dramatic readings, and it should be a great opportunity. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll have a special day as well, but we'll key in a little bit more on the preaching and um, some singing on your guys' part where we don't have as much singing on the cantata day. And so, but we wanted to shake it up a little bit. So please be prepared for that. Start now to think about inviting someone, maybe a family member. Some of you moms, um, you can guilt your kids into coming with you on Easter Sunday if they don't go to church regular. So go ahead and start to work that right now. That's perfectly fine, I think. But we're looking forward to celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ not too many weeks from now. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads one more time and pray. Heavenly Father, we would come to you grateful that we can call you Father. Grateful for what you have done to bring us, your sons and daughters, into your family. And as we look at that today, as we celebrate it, as we look at a bit of the incredible price that was paid, we would ask that you would wake us up. Allow us to be reminded of that place where we once stood, desperation, separation from you for all eternity until we learned of the incredible grace that is offered. We thank you for what you have done and we thank you for what you will do. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to get to know a person, you can go the route of asking questions. Perhaps you are one that does this. You like to meet somebody new and ask them questions. Not too long ago, I ran into someone that I was anxious to meet, and he said, boy, I've got a hundred questions for you, just like that. It was very interesting to hear that. I think that one area that I doubt the sincerity of the answers is when people are in front of a group sometimes, and they're asked questions. Specifically, my mind went to some of these uh, beauty pageants that take place. And there are different categories for the beauty pageants, but one that is unique is when they have a question and answer time. And I'm bringing this up for a specific reason because I think there is an insincere answer that is oftentimes given at those beauty pageants when they are asked a question. The question might be something in this category, something like, if you had one wish, what would you wish for? And that's pretty broad. And they want to make themselves stand out, and yet I think it's become a cliché what the answer is so many times from these individuals that are before a group and they're trying to make quite an impression. Some of you are already ahead of me with this answer. If, when they are asked, if you could have one wish of one thing, what would it be? And many of them say, world peace. Wow, you guys knew that one. Maybe you've been in a beauty contest. I don't know. <laughs> world peace. You know, I don't want to be too hard. It's you know, not a bad answer. But I do wonder how much they've thought specifically about that. When we think of the idea of peace, there are a variety of ideas that would come to mind. Some individuals might think of the Nobel Peace Prize. You've got to be really a peacemaker to get that trophy. 
Some individuals might think of politics and the impossible task of establishing a peace treaty in the Middle East that I think every president for the past 50 years has worked very hard at and every time unsuccessfully. If I were to ask you to try to come up with a definition of peace, there might be a few different directions that the minds would go of those that hear this message. But I would suspect that there would be many people when they were asked to define the word peace, they might think of this, and I'm gonna challenge this definition. Some people might think of peace as an absence of conflict. If we can just have an absence from conflict, then that is peace. That's what we should be looking for. And I wanna challenge that idea today. I want to inform you that as I have studied, as the Bible talks about peace, that really is not a good definition. When we think of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, when we think of his teaching, today specifically we're going to get into this area of being a peacemaker. What we'll see in God's word today is that there is a call for every son and daughter of God to be a peacemaker. And we find the ultimate example of a peacemaker in Jesus Christ. We've been looking at the Beatitudes, and I want to suggest that this one is not as easy as the others. I know the others can seem very hard. I recognize that. But this one here is extremely difficult to master because there's a big price that that has to be paid oftentimes. I'm going to split this beatitude into two different sessions, and we're going to start it this week, and then we're going to talk again about it our next time together, and we're going to close our service with the ultimate demonstration of peace, of what Jesus Christ and his Father did so that there could be peace with you and with me. We're going to close with communion and looking at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. All that to take us to our text. If you're not already there, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 in your Bibles, and this is the seventh of the Beatitudes that we're studying. I've been very much enjoying this series. Jesus Christ, the master teacher, as he had opportunity to to sit down and to teach his, his disciples, and as other people got to listen from this, and you and I get to listen in because it's recorded in God's word. Peace... As Jesus Christ teaches it, I want to suggest to us that peace is not the absence of something. I said that earlier. Peace is not just the absence of strife. Peace, as Christ is pushing this here, there's going to be great happiness that comes to the peacemakers. It's not just those that could go through life without rocking the boat. That's not the idea. Instead of the absence of something, I'm suggesting that Jesus is saying there's going to very much so be the presence of something. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. We're going to go into some specifics next time as far as what you can do. But the takeaway today is a little bit different. We'll do it every now and then as we go through a certain section of God's word but it's not so much what you can do as you go out from here, but more so it's how you feel. I'm going to ask you to consider your relationship with God and to consider how incredible he is. We have lost the true definition of the word 
awesome. Awesome gets dropped all over the place, and I've given up on it. I'm never going to be able to get it back to where literally you see something or experience something, and you're in awe of that. I mean, we speak of awesome. We talk about, you know, milkshakes and hula hoops and everything you could imagine. And so maybe you have to come up with a different idea of what it means to be in awe of God. I hope as we walk through this challenge today, which will be fairly short before we go to the Lord's Supper, I hope it will be special to you, that awesomeness of our God. Peace is not just the bringing um, of war to an end, but peace is taking the two parties and not just getting them to, you know, call off the shooting for a little while so they can reload. That's not the idea. The idea is to get them to work together even to the point where they will work for the benefit of the other. And so understand, peace is not the absence of strife. It's not the absence of fighting. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That there's incredible happiness that comes to the peacemakers. No, there is a difference between peace and a truce. A truce is when we lay down our guns And we don't shoot for a while. The peace of the Bible does not seek to keep the opposing parties apart. And that's what we think of sometimes. A peacemaker just jumps right in the middle of these two that are fighting and separates them. And so we've got peace. That's not the idea at all. A real peacemaker The promises that Christ is offering here is someone who steps into that situation where there is potential for conflict or maybe there's already incredible conflict going on and they seek to make these two parties work it out. How can we learn about this kind of peace? Or or better, who is the ultimate example of peace? That's really the only point that we'll have um, in our message today. Who is the maker of peace? Well, 1 Corinthians 14.33 is a familiar verse because of the first part. We quote it oftentimes in a church setting, but some people rush past the end of it, where it says, for God is not a God of confusion. We're familiar with that part. It goes on to say, but is a God of peace. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate example for you and for I because Jesus Christ experienced the pain in this conflict from both sides. If you've been through Isaiah 53, you're familiar with as God the Son, I mean God the Father was looking at what he was going to do with his Son. The old King James Version says it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. Many other versions say it pleased the Father to crush the Son. And this is the kind of stuff that it's hard to talk about with people who are not believers. I mean, in fact, don't you make yourself a little bit vulnerable? If you're talking about your God, the Trinity, and you say the Father was pleased to crush his son, well, boy, you're almost giving them some ammunition to say how bad God is. You see, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, it was not that he was going to not rock the boat, take all the pain away. There was an incredible task that had to be done in order to bring peace. 
The ultimate example of a peacemaker is Jesus Christ. And as he is here in this world, he experienced the pain from the Father's side. And many of you, if you've taken an honest look within and you've experienced forgiveness, you know that Jesus Christ has experienced pain from your side. My sin was the sin that sent him to the cross. Christ stood there between the two and he was the ultimate peacemaker in that he bridged the gap. There is a missionary named Don, uh, Don Richardson. Don Richardson was working in Indonesia and as he was working with individuals there trying to translate the gospel to them, he ran into one major problem. He could not get them to understand the idea of the significance of the death of Jesus Christ. You can teach the details that Jesus Christ died and he was innocent. You can teach the detail that he rose again. But the importance of his death, that what this accomplished was a reconciliation between two parties, between God the Father and between sinful man. And he could not get this idea across as he was working with, these, with this tribe in Indonesia. The tribe was called the Sawi tribe. And he struggled for a way to communicate the significance of Christ's death. And while, Richard, while Richardson was serving with this tribe, he came to learn a little bit of their history. He found out about a tradition that they had there in the tribe. And that tradition was one that might bring peace. They had tried everything that he could see to bring peace and there was one possible solution and yet it had not been done in so long. Here's what that solution was. This one way, this one custom that they had to have peace stated that peace could be made between these two feuding tribes if one individual were to take their baby and go to the other tribe and offer that baby to them and give it to them, and then walk away. And this would cause peace. This was the custom between these two tribes. But what problem do you think they faced where they could not get this peace? They couldn't find one mom and dad who was willing to give up their child, to go and take that child to the enemy, those ones that they talked poorly about, those ones who had inflicted pain on their family and tribesmen. They could not get anyone to do that until one day, one father, when he had seen the bloodshed and when he had seen the fighting and he knew of this promise, he took his child and without the mother's permission, he scooped up that baby and he went running into the jungle to the visiting tribe and there he gave that baby. That baby was called the peace child Richardson writes about. And as he gave that baby, the custom was in place. Now there would be peace between these two villages. As long as that baby lived, there would be peace. And when Richardson saw this, he said, I've got my analogy. There it is. Jesus Christ is the peace child. Jesus Christ was sacrificed and as long as he lives, there can be peace between the Father and between his children who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 
And brothers and sisters, how long does Jesus live? Forever. He will never die. Forever and ever, Christ has given us peace. He is the Prince of Peace. When we celebrate Christmas time, we talk about peace coming to this world. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. If you can imagine him taking the hand of the Father and then taking the hand of sinful man and joining them together. And the only way it could be done was by what we're going to celebrate here right now. And this is why Jesus Christ doesn't want us to forget about the sacrifice on the cross. This is why we are told to constantly remember his death and his resurrection because it was this price that was paid, his broken body and his shed blood. It was this that took place that makes you reconciled to the Father. The gospel says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. I'm going to give you something to do, but it's not so much something that you can tangibly do as much as something that you can feel. I'm gonna ask each one of us, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you can understand this, this price that was paid by the Father as well, I'm going to ask you just to stand in awe of the ultimate peacemaker. As we pass the elements by, it's an opportunity for you to reflect. You can take a look within at yourself, but you can also take a look up at our God. The love of a father to pay this price. Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's what God did. Jesus took the hand of the Father and the hand of sinful man and he's joined us together because of his sacrifice. Colossians 1.20 says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross.